Okay, we should get into the text here. Let's pray real quickly. Heavenly Father, we do thank you for your word, and we pray that at this point that you would help us to step out of the cares of this world, the, 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 the bills that are coming, the tax bills, and all these things we talk about, uh, political situations, even our loved ones uh, overseas in, in combat zones, Father. Help us to separate even now our minds from that, and help us to focus on your word, what you intend for us to get. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, it was my daughter last week that fronted me off and pointed out that I was actually reading to you out of the NIV and preaching out of NASB because my NIV has letters that are big enough for me to see. Don't you hate educated people? (laughs) And she's right. Um, I'm going to read to you now uh, out of Luke 4, verses 31 through uh, 44. In fact, I'm going to start in 30 because I like to do that sort of thing. But he walked right through the crowd and went on his way. Then he went down to Capernaum, a town in Galilee, and on the Sabbath he taught the people. They were amazed at his teaching because his words had authority. In the synagogue there was a man possessed by a demon, an impure spirit. He cried out at the top of his voice, Go away! What do you have to do with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. Be quiet, Jesus said sternly. Come out of him. Then the demon threw the man down uh, before them all and came out without injuring him. All the people were amazed and said to each other, what words are these? With authority and power, he gives orders to impure spirits and they come out. And the news about him spread throughout the surrounding areas. Jesus left the synagogue and went to the home of Simon. Now Simon's mother-in-law was suffering from a high fever, and they asked Jesus to help her. So he bent over her and rebuked the fever, and it left. So she, she got up at once and began to wait on them. At sunset, the people brought to Jesus all who had various kinds of sicknesses, and laying his hands on each one of them, he healed them. Moreover, demons came out of many people, shouting, "'You are the Son of God!' And he rebuked them and would not allow them to speak, because they knew he was Messiah." At daybreak, Jesus went out to a solitary place. The people were looking for him, and when they came to where he was, they tried to keep him from leaving them. But he said, I must proclaim the good news of the kingdom of God to other towns also, because that is why I was sent. And he kept on preaching in the synagogues of Judea. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We ask that your mouth would speak to us and that our ears would hear in the various curriculums where you have placed us now for our growth and your glory in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, so just to set the tone correctly here, uh, Luke portrays Jesus as, as fully man, but he does not take away from Jesus as fully God. This is just truth. It's doctrine. It's something you can hang your hat on. Jesus is fully man and fully God. Still, what we do with that truth is Um, far more important to us. That truth dangles whether or not you want to accept it. What do we do? So how have you personally practiced a greater awareness of the living Jesus in your life this past week? So we talked about last week, there should be an expectation I could ask you about it this week. How have you practiced that? What have you done? And, and from last week, what steps have you taken to learn how to become more aware of the presence of Jesus in your life? I'm convinced people want this. I just think it's a hurdle to jump over. An awareness of the very presence of Jesus in your life is key. 
in developing a transformational life in God. Anything less is merely transactional at best to continue a theme. Now, before we explore the text, um, you, the question is, will you, before we look at this, will you commit today, ahead of time, to being proactive in developing an awareness of the presence of Jesus in your life? That's something that can make a real difference. And if you struggle with this, Pastor Gunner is back in town, and he would love to help you draw closer to Jesus. Is that true, Gunner? I think that's a safe thing. He can direct you. He can help you. Now, Luke will now show us Jesus interacting with people and people also interacting with Jesus. Pretty typical. And this is not some random record of Jesus' healing of this person and that. Luke is is following a, a pattern that is consistent with the New Testament gospel writers. Jesus declares something about himself. The text states something about Jesus. And then Jesus demonstrates that thing about himself. He shows us how it works. And that's what's going on here. Luke's no different. Now, last week, Jesus declared that he had come to preach the gospel to the poor, to heal the brokenhearted, to preach deliverance to the captives, to give sight to the blind, to set at liberty them who are bruised or downtrodden, and to preach the acceptable year of the Lord. And this is exactly what we would expect to see him doing if uh, when he left Nazareth and journeyed to Galilee. So down to uh, verse verse 30 of chapter 4, once again, he passed through their midst. They're trying to throw him off a cliff. He didn't really care about that. And he went down to Capernaum, a city in Galilee, and he was teaching... he was teaching on the Sabbath. And we, we, understand that we, we understand here the Sabbath is not Sunday, correct? This is not the Sabbath. Please don't call it the Sabbath. Uh, the Sabbath is Saturday. And from the earliest days of the Jewish nation, God commanded, declared, demanded that his people were to have a day of rest once a week, and they called that day the Sabbath. It was a Saturday. And in restricting us from work, or provide, uh, or provide, it, it was a way of restricting us from providing for ourselves. It required that I'm going to take this rest instead of trying to get ahead a little bit, a little more overtime, a little more crops, whatever they did, and we're acknowledging that I trust God to provide for me even though I'm not working. That was the purpose, to give us rest and to cause us to depend on God weekly. Keeping the Sabbath holy or set apart is actually one of the Ten Commandments. It was a big deal. And still, that was a command specifically given to the Jewish people, not to the church. You can't just piggyback these things as it's convenient. Now, from its inception, the church started setting aside Sunday as its special day of the week. Sunday was the day that Jesus resurrected from the dead, and that's when the church began to meet. And I think meeting together and honoring God on Sunday is a beneficial practice, but we should not be calling it the Sabbath. It it is not. That said, it is interesting that God's people who meet on Sunday pretty much do the same thing that the Jewish people, God's people, did on the Sabbath. They meet together as a group. They uh, express worship towards God as a group. And they learn from the Word of God as a group. That's what they did then. That's what we do now. Again, while there's no New Testament command that we must meet on Sundays, there are potential consequences if we do not. Uh, Hebrews 10.24 says it this way. And let us consider 
how, to, how we may spur one another on towards love and good deeds. Let us not giving up meeting together as is the habit of some, but let us encourage one another, and all the more as you see the day approaching. If we deliberately keep on sinning after we have received the knowledge of the truth, I interject, there are consequences. So meeting together is a really important part of helping us spur each other onto love and good deeds and also helping each other keep away from deliberately sinning. It's the way God has set it up. Now in Capernaum, where Jesus saw his people gathering together, he gathered as well. It's what he did. Verse 32, and they were amazed at his teaching for his message was with authority. And again, we see Jesus teaching in a synagogue on a Sabbath day. Again, we see people amazed at his teaching. Last week, we speculated there must have been something, something about his countenance or about an aura or, or the way he spoke that, that really made them amazed. Well, this week, we actually get a clue. It says, for his message was with authority. There was something about this authoritative message that impressed people. You see, in a synagogue system, they had hymn singing, and they had reading from the Word of God, and then they had a time of teaching. But the teaching was most probably from a visiting rabbi or from some reading out of the Mishnah. You don't have to say Mishnah. Uh, the Mishnah was a collection of oral traditions or commentaries collected by the rabbis that talked about the practical meanings of the law, Psalms, and prophets. They go back a long way. They've been added to ever since. Now, let me give an example of what it might have looked like to have Mishnah teaching. And this is just an example uh, don't quote me on this, but they might have read Isaiah 53, for instance, Isaiah 53, 4, and they would have read, surely our griefs he himself bore, and our sorrows he carried, yet we ourselves esteemed him stricken, smitten of God, and afflicted. Now, the teaching that would have followed might have looked something like this. Well, Rabbi Tovia tells us that this is the nation of Israel who was afflicted. But the Gemara asks, what is his name? And the rabbi answers, the leper of the house of Rabbi Yehud Hassani is his name. Still other rabbis tell us, and that's what they get. Just this ping pong of what different rabbis said about different things. You get the picture. Teaching like that only causes confusing, confusion and emptiness. And Jesus comes on the scene and he begins to expound the scriptures. How did he know them so well? He's God. He began to expound the scriptures with the authority of God himself. And holding out the word of God with unapologetic authority is attractive to those who mean business with God. Don't you want to hear good Bible teaching? And this is one of the main reasons that, that my family attends Grace Point Church. Uh, Pastor Gunner preaches and teaches the word of God as he finds it written. He just tells you what it says and gives you application. I love that. A practice that is diminishing in the United States today. So if you have some good Bible teaching, folks, hold on to it. Now, moving on, we are immediately struck with the contrast from the congregation at Nazareth, uh, the ones who wanted to throw Jesus off a cliff, and the congregation here at Capernaum. Jesus could not do works in Nazareth. But he, did some, he took some action in Capernaum, verse 33. And there was a man in the synagogue possessed by a spirit of an unclean demon, and he carried, cried out in a loud voice, and he says, top of his lungs, Ha! 
What do you have to do with, what do we have to do with you, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. Imagine you're in the service right now. And I always pray during these kinds of, when I give the gospel from the pulpit, or when I'm talking about demon stuff like this, uncanny, there's some sort of like the microphone quits or the lights go out. You ever seen this? These things happen all the time. And I expect that even. I can speak loudly if I have to. Um, but imagine sitting here and Gunner's preaching and somebody yells out something like this at the top of their lungs, you know, I know who you are. And it was, whoa, <laughs> little interruption there. He doesn't mind Davies, but I bet that would get his attention. <laughs> now, what a contrast. While no one in the synagogue in Nazareth recognized the divine authority of Jesus, those in the spirit world know their place. The spirit world is well aware of Jesus' deity and authority over them. I know who you are, the Holy One of God. We can only imagine, and we could build big pictures, but we can only imagine what's behind the scenes and the interactions going on there in the spirit world. But wait, there's more. We do not know what Jesus was teaching in the synagogue that day. But it was at his teaching that the evil spirit began to cry out loud. It's wise for a warrior, and every Christian's a warrior, whether they like it or not, it's wise for a warrior to understand the enemy. And this is a consistent scheme of the devil. The mission of the demons of that day was to interrupt and silence the teaching of the word of God. It was noise. It wasn't about he's identifying me. It was noise. They were making noise. And we see this time and time again when a pastor begins to faithfully preach and behind the scenes a well-meaning rumor weed begins to circulate in an effort to discredit the pastor and his teaching. This behavior is serious and it's potentially <laughs> demonic. Now, Gunner... Uh, I've watched him for a couple of years, and I, I think he's a very, um, he comes across very mild-mannered and just very kind, but I've also seen that when a rumor weed begins, he nips that in the bud. He calls people out. Let's go talk. He nips that stuff in the bud. And we saw this during COVID when, when church people discredited men of God for their decision to close the doors of the church and to discredit men who by conscience to God, kept the church doors open. Everybody talk, 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 throw them down, throw them down, they got them deep in. And, and you, you must have seen it this past week, maybe you have, I don't know, when some, a slew of these YouTuber wannabe theologians were, were blasting, I won't say his name, but a very solid biblical teacher, it's all over the media right now, a genuine man of God for his efforts to carefully walk a fine line between compassion for people and condemnation of the base practices in a gender-confused society in which we now live. Issues we never would have talked about 30 or 50 years ago. Wouldn't have imagined these things. Still, I'm not speaking about the challenges to these leaders. That's kind of irrelevant this morning. But rather about your and my response behind the scenes. That's what counts. We do not want to be a mouthpiece for Satan in diminishing the preaching of God's word. And this begs the question, well, can there be demons and demonic activity even among God's people? Short answer is 
absolutely and primarily. I talked to my mentor this week. I, I, there's a couple things I don't like to talk about from the pulpit. Two of them I won't even mention because I don't want to talk about it, but one of them is demonology. I just don't like to go here because it's just, it, it's gotten too weird over the years. A word of caution. Um, another scheme of the devil is to lead us into a fascination, into a fascination with demonic spiritual things to the point of distraction. Or to lead us to believe these things don't exist at all. Either way is good for him. And I'd rather focus on Jesus, not demons, but it's in the text. So let's explore it shortly, very shortly. Um, The Bible is clear that there is a massive movement of both good and evil outside of our physical world, behind the scenes. It's a spiritual world, and it is all around us. It is all around us, right here in the pews, it's here. And there are real spiritual persons known to us as the devil, and we have some indications that he may be a fallen angel from long ago, but it's a real dude. Now, during his earthly ministry, Jesus cast out many demons. Demon possession seemed almost commonplace in the Gospels, didn't it? I don't know if he came just at the right time or what was going on, but you saw it, you couldn't miss it. And we're not talking about these make-believe demons of smoking or or demons of cancer. That's not what's going on here. These things were real and full-blown demon possessions, and I trust this is not your normal experience. I hope not. Now, in my experience, when someone sees these strange demonic behaviors today, they don't call a priest, they call a cop. I don't want to wander too far into a tangent, so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to leave it to you. I'm not going to tell C stories. I'm a cop. Um, I leave it to you to, to search out your favorite cop, firefighter, or nurse, and they can tell you about some of the strange things they have seen that we have medicated away. But understand, the devil, Satan, and his demons are powerful, and only a fool would treat them in a trivial manner. As an example of foolish men, the book of Jude says, Jude 1, only one chapter in Jude, right? Okay, it's easy. It's back in the J section of your Bible. Jude 1, talking about foolish people. In the very same way, these dreamers pollute their own bodies, reject authority, and slander celestial beings. That's talking about spiritual beings. But even the archangel Michael, when he, had, when he was disputing with the devil about the body of Moses did not dare to bring a slanderous accusation against him, but said, the Lord rebuke you. Yet these men speak abusively against whatever they do not understand. Now, don't ask me about this dispute between the body, about the body of Moses. No one knows what that's talking about. But note that a powerful spiritual being, Michael the archangel, ah, right, that's a big deal, Rebuke Satan in the name of Jesus, not in his own power, not in his own ability. The demonic world is a dangerous place to dabble. You don't want to go there. And if an angel who is in the know is keeping Satan at arm's length, how should we, who are fairly ignorant of these things, behave? Well, very carefully indeed. Listen. A Christian should have nothing to do with horoscopes, with psychics, with witchcraft, or with fortune tellers and the like. Don't go there. These things open one up to evil influences 
It's like knocking at their front door to see if they'll answer. Don't do it. But John, aren't Christians indwelt by the Holy Spirit safe from the influence of demons? Absolutely not. No. Demon possession was a major movie theme in the 1970s. Some of you not so old people like me can remember those movies. And as a result, there was a lot of um, chatter in the 80s about whether or not a Christian could be demon-possessed. And unfortunately, the opinions expressed did not necessarily reflect biblical teaching, but one's own logic about the Bible or their experiences. Now, rather than banter over the semantics of demon oppression versus demon um, uh, possession, the fact is that church people are a major target of the spiritual forces in darkness. Ephesians tells us this, Ephesians 6, for our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in heavenly places. And if Satan can lure you and me into a lifestyle that diminishes our spiritual usefulness for the cause of Christ then he has accomplished his purpose, no matter what label you want to call it. Have you ever known a, a genuine Christian who has lost their effectiveness for the Lord? I have. Perhaps for a time, it might have been yourself. What was it? Alcohol or drug abuse? Pornography? A less than desirable relationship? I know he's not a Christian, but he's nice. Heard that so many times. Maybe revisiting the good old days. Break out those old records. We don't use records anymore, do we? <laughs> the pursuit, just, just, just for a time, the pursuit of education, power, or influence, then I'll get back in the church or back in the Lord. Great personal loss or great personal success. These can all be tools of the devil in diminishing your spiritual effectiveness. Distractions. Listen, Satan cannot read your mind. That's an attribute of God. Satan cannot read your mind. But he is a brilliant and skilled psychologist who has 5,000 years of recorded human history in studying mankind, and he knows the kinds of things that draw men and women away from God. Things that appeal to our flesh nature, which we still carry, the struggle that each of us deals with every day. Satan knew what to offer in the Garden of Eden. It's not that bad. And he tried it on Jesus. Jump, the angels have to catch you. Well, certainly he will try it on you. Back to our text. So here we don't have a person caught up in a rumor weed, but we have a man who is genuinely possessed by demons and who is interrupting the teaching of the Word of God. But rather than being interrupted, masterful Jesus uses the interruption as an illustration of his authority and power behind his teaching, and he uses it as an illustration of his mission to set the captive free. Verse 35, and Jesus rebuked him, saying, be quiet and come out of him. And when the demon had thrown him down in the midst, he came out of him without doing him any harm, and amazement came upon all those 
uh, and they began to discuss with one another, what is this message? For with authority and power, he commands the unclean spirits, and they come out. Now catch the response. They don't ask, how did he do that? Or rather, they ask, what is this message? And if you want to discern between real miracles and fake miracles, here's a clue. A real miracle points people back to the Word of God, not to the miracle worker, to the Word of God. That's what miracles are meant to do. Okay, so word about Jesus spreads. But Luke showcases one very specific healing, one very special healing, verse 37. And the report about him was getting out into every locality in the surrounding district, and he arose and left the synagogue and entered Simon's house. Now Simon's mother-in-law was suffering from a high fever, and they made request of him on her behalf. And standing over her, he rebuked the fever, and it left her. And she immediately arose and waited on them. Okay, this is not Simon the sorcerer of Acts chapter 8. This is not Simon the Pharisee of Luke chapter 7. But this is Simon, this Simon is Simon Peter. You'll hear more about him next week from Gunner. Simon Peter, who would later be one of Jesus' closest of the 12 disciples, Simon Peter, who would number among the 12 apostles. Simon Peter was the guy of whom Jesus said, upon this rock, I will build my church. And Simon Peter was the one who was a mouthpiece for Satan. Matthew 16. From that time, Jesus began to show his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things from the elders. Sorry. and chief priests and scribes, and be killed, and be raised on the third day. And Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him, saying, God forbid it, Lord, this shall never happen to you. But he turned and said to Peter, get behind me, Satan. You are a stumbling block for me. You are not setting your mind on God's interest, but on man's. And if Peter could be a mouthpiece for Satan... We should all be on our guards. Still, spoiler alert, next week we'll see how this house call from Jesus was a life, had life-changing impact on Peter. Show up for, for that, it's exciting. Okay, that said, Jesus enters Peter's home and finds his wife's downtrodden mother ill with a high fever. And we know, that we, we, we know what Jesus is going to do. It's pretty obvious. And carefully, in, in some, and certainly in healing Peter's mother-in-law, Jesus is demonstrating his power and authority. That's, that's what he's doing. Okay. But never miss the personal aspect here. It's not about a pronouncement. It's personal. Jesus is doing something out of compassion for a person. He's so personal. An individual. Every one of Jesus' healings had a personal effect on the receiver. He wasn't just wandering around, be healed, be healed. Remember the woman that touched him? said, who touched me? Who touched me? There's a big crowd, Lord. No, I felt the power, and he spoke with her. Our God is a very present and very personal God, and he cares about you, the individual, you, What's interesting is that Jesus does not say, woman, 
I heal you, or, or woman, be healed. He doesn't. Rather, Jesus speaks to the fever itself. Jesus rebuked the fever. Now, this chapter has been used by some to demonstrate that all sickness is the result of demon possession. That's just not a safe place to go. I was using my wife's bout with cancer and my daughter's bout with cancer as a sermon illustration one time, and I was approached by a guy afterwards who let me know that there was a demon of cancer that had invaded my family line, and we needed to repent of, well, he wasn't really sure what of, but we need to repent of something to get rid of it. Or I'd go on and keep going. And just don't go there. It's, it's, it, first of all, it's not true. Secondly, it's not helpful to do that. You're not doing people favors. Sounds spiritual, but it's not. The reason Jesus rebuked the fever and not the woman was to demonstrate that he had power over the fever. He does the same later when he rebukes the wind and the waves. And we don't see Jesus telling Peter's mother-in-law to sin no more, do we? Rather, we see what is so common in the response of those who have been touched by Jesus. She wanted to serve him. She wanted to do something useful for him. And immediately, she rose and waited on them. So, what are we seeing here? Okay, we're seeing that he had come to preach the gospel to the poor, heal the brokenhearted, to preach deliverance to the captives, to give sight to the blind, to give liberty, to set liberty them who are bruised or downtrodden, and to preach the acceptable year of the Lord. We are seeing validation that he was the Messiah. Verse 40, And while the sun was setting, all who had any sick with various diseases brought them to him and laying his hands on every one of them. Boy, that was a busy day, wasn't it? Every one of them, he was healing them. And the demons were also coming out of many, crying out and saying, You are the Son of God! And rebuking them, he would not allow them to speak because they knew him to be the Christ. And when day had come, he departed and went to a lonely place. And the multitudes were searching for him and came to him and tried to keep him from going away. When people who have had a trans, when we see people who have had a transformational encounter with Jesus, they want even more of Jesus. Do you want more of Jesus? Amen. When is the last time that you pleaded for more of Jesus? They weren't looking for him. Please, I want more. Jesus' response, verse 43. And he said to them, I must preach the kingdom of God to the other cities also, for I was sent for this purpose. And he kept on preaching in the synagogues of Judea. In the same way, people who have had an encounter with Jesus are now called to be his voice in preaching the kingdom of God to the other cities. Okay, so what? How are we to benefit from this? Well, a couple of things. First of all, certainly we are called to keep gathering as a church to worship God. But understand that the church is a place where you, as a person, are to benefit other people. And you, as a person, are to receive benefits from other people. That requires transparency, risky transparency. I saw the dinner eight groups. They're not full. 
I suggest you crash them like Gunner does. Just go to whatever you want. Get to know people. The transformational church is one where family members openly interact with one another in such a way that there is genuine risky exposure and genuine, genuinely risky um, stimulation towards love and good deeds. These people will stimulate you towards love and good deeds. And believe me, ask Roger. They'll call you out if you do something that you shouldn't do. That's just nonsense, right? Yeah. In the same way that Jesus uses agency, meaning people, to spread the message of the kingdom of God, Jesus uses agency, meaning people, to speak his encouragement to you and me. Most encouragement you'll receive in life is going to be through people. Next. Are you involved in... Are, are, are you dabbling, just dabbling, in a pursuit that will ultimately deaden your spiritual interests and spiritual effectiveness? Just a little bit? Listen, behind those attractions is a host of spiritual forces of darkness and heavenly places, and is purposely aiming to squash your spiritual effectiveness. They're there, folks. So let's be clear. Singles, don't make you raise your hand. Singles, do not enter a romance with someone who is not head over heels in love with Jesus. And I don't care if he calls himself a Christian. I can make Christians out of rocks. You want someone who loves Jesus and whose life demonstrates the fact that they love Jesus before you commit yourself to them. That's not pie in the sky. I'll tell you, I could go a long time without being married to the right person, but I don't want to be married to the wrong person for a day. Can I get a witness? <laughs> so each of us need to check and evaluate our influential relationships. Are they leading us toward a love for Jesus or leading us away from Jesus as the priority in our life? And I'm not just talking about romance. I know people right here who have broken fellowship with, with team members and buddies from way back because it just wasn't healthy. Unfortunately, this is actually pretty simple, but it's really hard. I'll quit meddling. I'll move to easy stuff. <laughs> Next, are you at risk for being a mouthpiece for Satan? Are you somewhat proud of your spiritual gift of criticism? It's not really one of the fruits of the Spirit, but it comes so easy. And if you realize that you have this tendency, perhaps it's time to memorize or, or chew on a couple of verses. Just a, One of my favorites that helped, that's helped me a lot about myself Philippians 4, finally, brethren, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is good repute, if there's anything excellence or anything worthy of praise, let your mind dwell on these things. Think about the good stuff, not the bad. And I think Gunnar would love to point you to other verses if you'd like to hear them. Uh, it, it would bless his socks off, knock on his door and say, Gunnar, I'm having trouble with this. I, I need help. That's what he's here for. And finally... 
God primarily operates through agency. It's not really a theological term, or maybe it is, I don't know. That means God tends to use people to do his work. God does not need people to do his work. He can do whatever he wants. He's God. But it is the joy and privilege of those whom he has blessed to carry on his work. What a joy. Jesus said, I must preach the kingdom of God to the other cities, for I was sent for this purpose. And that's now the marching orders of all those who have been called to faith in Christ. I, I can't get into the trenches with, with, that Rogers dig, and I, I can't get into the hospitals that Beth goes into. I can't have access. But each of you have access in a special arena that I can't get into. God has postured you perfectly for a place where you can connect with the people around you, places that I, I, have, I have no credibility no credibility, but you do. That's your marching orders. So how are you involved in the preaching of the kingdom of God? Are you keeping on with keeping on in this venture? Is this your driving force now until your dying day? I've got to tell people about Jesus. And perhaps you're saying, I, I don't know how to do this. I, I'm new to this Christian thing. I've only been a Christian like 20 years. I, I don't know. I know that there are people right here in this church who would love to give you some, some training, some, some tools, so that you can share Jesus with competence and confidence. And if you are teachable, available, and committed, I'm certain Pastor Gunner can direct you to a suitable mentor in this area. There's people here that know how to do this and know how to share the gospel. And that said, some of us need to be willing to be suitable mentors. Is it time for you to step up? Can Gunner call on you and say, hey, I need you to pass this training on to somebody else. Take them, take them to this place and talk to Jesus. Take them to Moms in Touch or the park or whatever you guys do. Talk about Jesus. Okay, a lot to think about. If something has struck a chord today, if something's come to mind today, do come up after the music and enlist the help of a prayer partner. That's why they're here. Don't go all, I'm going to get out now. and Don't be like me. Come up front, state your case, get some prayer, and get on with it. Okay, let's move on. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the example that you set Jesus for us. We thank you that you are, in fact, God, and, and nothing can touch you, not the demons, not the spiritual forces of wickedness not people trying to kill you, nothing can touch you, and yet personally, you have chosen us. You have touched us. Help us, Lord Jesus, to bring our infirmities to you this week. Help us to be honest about our weakness where we need your help. Help us to be willing to expose ourselves to these lovely church people, our family, so that we might be mentored, be held accountable, so we don't do the stupid thing. Yes, Lord. For your good, for your glory, we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.